We are in our Paper King series. So this is a series where we're profiling a different one of Judah's kings every single week. Uh, we started with a bad one, we're doing six good ones, and then we're going to end uh, with another bad one. Um, it's going chronologically, though. I was, I was like, what's the significance of that, Pastor Brad? Um, uh, we're just picking these stories. Uh, they're written through the book of First and Second Kings and Second Chronicles, and they're written kind of as moral lessons, right, where you're studying the history of God's people. Uh, this is before Jesus came, but after they've received the law from God, uh, they're living in the promised land, and it's just this rocky time, but you track the history through the lives of the kings. Uh, this week, we're studying King Joash, who ascended to the throne at the age of seven. <laughs> so a lot, a lot of fun for this guy. Um, for each one of these kings, I'm asking you to read the associated stories in the Bible first. Come up with one word that either summarizes uh, the king or stands out to you or something that, that you are reminded of when you hear the king, and then we share them on Sunday morning. So did anyone read Joash and have a, a word that summarizes him this morning? Shout it out if you do. Placeholder. Placeholder. Okay, very good. Hidden. Hidden. Okay. Incomplete. Incomplete. Yep. You just said, what'd you say? You are, you're trying to stretch me from last week. So, uh, yeah, yeah it's too much. All right, watch last week's, watch last week's sermon. I almost said a bad word, but it wasn't, it was just an acronym to remind us how we're supposed to fight our spiritual battles. It's okay, at least it was memorable. All right, All right so... A lot of good words. Joash, to me, is a very frustrating character. He uh, has an absolutely tragic fall. Uh, we'll get into all of that. But the reason why I'm asking and encouraging all of you to read the stories ahead of time, we just don't have the time to read all of them here on Sunday. So we'll do a couple highlights. I'll try to fill in the gaps as well as possible. And then we'll try to understand what does Joash have for us. Uh, for my word, uh, because I'm always trying to find a way to skirt the rules, I'm going to actually show a picture instead of a word. Uh, this is a picture I took on Wednesday, I think. Uh, so our family and, and I, I guess we all went to Philadelphia this past week for fall break. Uh, we did a day in New York. Uh, we spent time, uh, we stayed at my aunt and uncle's. They've got a place in downtown Philadelphia where you can walk to all the cool things. Uh, one of the things that Sherry and I really wanted to do is go to the famous love sculpture and take a selfie by it, right? And so we go there and uh, we kind of let our kids do their thing. Uh, you probably noticed we let our kids do their thing quite a bit. <laughs> and we, we want to take a selfie with the picture in the background. And then you look at the picture and like, hey, there's Carter posing, you know, like underneath it. We didn't tell him to do that. And there's Quentin in the hoodie. So he's, I don't know, just checking out the park. And wait, where's Oakley? Oh, no. We like turned around for like one second. And he's like, he's like over my shoulder, way over here behind a tree. Um, he's exploring, you know, doing, doing typical three-year-old things. Um, but the fun part, what I like about this photo is that my wife and I wanted to take a selfie by a famous love sculpture, right? That'd be a great memory. And what it turned into is a story of our family, right? Because of what's going on in the background, what you can see and maybe what you can't see uh, going on in the background. And so for me, with Joash, the story is about the background, where, yeah, it's about Joash, but really it's all these characters that come to the forefront in the background, and Joash himself kind of fades to the back, 
you know? Uh, so this, this sermon is good if you've been going through this series and you're kind of like, I'm not a king, <laughs> you know, like I'm not a boss, I'm not a manager, I'm not a parent, I'm not a, you know, a principal, I'm not, I'm not in any sort of leadership positions, I don't understand how studying these kings is actually going to help me in my own life, nothing's very translatable. The story of Joash, uh, I'm going to show you, is really not about Joash, um, there's not too much there for him, you know, he's kind of more of a placeholder, you know, or he's, you know, just kind of uh, small, like a king, a, a just a, I don't know, a seven-year-old king that's held up by other people behind him. Uh, but we'll go ahead and run through uh, all these stories. Uh, and then again, I'll try to provide the context, go back and read the whole thing. Uh, I think it's absolutely fascinating. Uh, I'll start with the first verse. So, so it's in chapter 22, 23, and 24, but the, the end of 22 in Chronicles. And then I think it's in 2 Kings 12 or 11 and 12. Um, that's where we're at. So we've moved into 2 Kings now. Uh, again, Chronicles has an additional story. There's three stories that the Bible has about King Joash. One is how he became king. Two is him repairing the temple. And then the third one, only Chronicles has. Kings doesn't have it. And it's kind of how bad he got once uh, the high priest uh, died. Um, we're we're going to cover all three of those. All right, first one starts like this. When Italia, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she proceeded to destroy the whole royal family of the house of Judah. Okay, what a dramatic opening statement, right? Uh, but, but there's a lot going on that, that, that I've got to catch you up, right? We're jumping right into the middle of the story, and I want to start all the way from the end of last week. All right, so last week when we talked about the ass-whopping that we can give uh, the devil from Jehoshaphat, you have to watch it. Sorry, you got you to you show up, you know? And all the sermons are online. You can, you can, stay, you can stay up to date. But Jehoshaphat was this model leader of how you can go to war, right? And, and, and here's how he depended on God, how he didn't raise himself. No, he was humble. He sought God. He obeyed God, right? He was praising all along the way. Uh, but we talked, he did do one thing that was foolish. Uh, he made this alliance with Ahab in the north, and it kind of made a big deal about it. Kind of like, whoa, that came out of left field. Why is he doing that? Um, if you paid attention, he made an alliance by marriage, to the northern kingdom of Israel with Ahab. In fact, his son, Jehoram, he gave the daughter of Ahab, whose name was Atalia. <laughs> and they were married. And, and so Jehoram ruled over Judah, and he was awful, awful guy. The first thing that he does is he kills all his brothers just to make sure none of them get any ideas about the throne, right? And then Jehoram, he only reigns for eight years. And then his son, this Ahaziah, uh, takes the throne as a 22-year-old. Uh, he was the only son of Jehoram that had survived a raid by other nations into Judah. And so, so Ahaziah is the last one left of the Davidic line. And so when, if you've been reading through the whole book, you know that's the key uh, drama that's unfolding is God has promised David, I will always have one of your descendants on the throne. I will show my faithfulness to you by doing this. And you will show your faithfulness to me by being together. We already saw disaster narrowly averted with King Rehoboam in week one. Well, well disaster is brewing, right? Ahaziah is the last heir of David on the throne. Also, Jehoram and Ahaziah are going south, idol worship. They're, they're refusing to follow God. And then Ahaziah dies in the passage before this. The only heirs that he has left are little babies. And we read in the first verse, Atalia. This is the daughter of Ahab, that foolish, 
you know, alliance by marriage that Jehoshaphat did, she takes power. The mother of Ahaziah saw that her son was dead. She proceeded to destroy the whole royal family of the house of Judah. The end, you know, like a candle, you know, you know like to me, uh, this is where things are hanging in the balance. If you are living in Judah, you remember God's promises to you. You're looking around, you're like, uh, here's this queen of the north, right, from the rebel kingdom that worships Baal and Asherah and does not honor God. And now, you're just, God, you're just going to let her wipe out the entire, the entire line so now your promise can't be fulfilled? God, have you forgotten us, right? Well, he didn't. But, this is the very next verse, but Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Jehoram, took Joash, son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the royal princes who were about to be murdered and put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Oh, yeah, wait, we'll, we'll do all the, the, the context. Because Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Jehoram and wife of the priest Jehoiada, was Ahaziah's sister. She hid the child from Atalia so she could not kill him. He remained hidden with them at the temple of God for six years while Italia ruled the land. And I was telling them beforehand, has anyone adapted Second Chronicles for a TV series? Like, I, it's like the script is already written, right? You know, like, this is some drama, you know? It, like, but, but imagine what it would have been like where he's six years, Italia, this queen, you know, from the north, not even from Judah, is ruling, and you're just like, where's God? right? He's left us. It's done. It's over. But God was working behind the scenes, background characters. You know, there's all the, this person's related to this person. Uh, Jehoshaphat is the aunt of Joash. She's married to the high priest Jehoiada, who's his uncle. And they kind of take him in. They hide him in the temple. I saw one theory says they hid him in the temple because they know Italia wasn't going there. (laughs) You know, so he could, he could raise up in peace in the temple. And so all of us, all, all, from the very beginning, right, the story of Joash is not about the story of Joash. You see Jehoshaphat and Jehoiada uh, being faithful, being, being willing to move forward. Uh, then what happens? In the seventh year, Jehoiada showed his strength, which is a term that's used of kings in other portions, showing your strength. He made a covenant with the commanders of units of 100, Azariah, son, I'll see if I can do this, Azariah, son of Jeroham, Ishmael, son of Jehohanan, Azariah, son of Obed, Maaseah, son of Adaiah, and Elishaphat, son of Zikri. Sorry, no, 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 I don't think I did that right. They went, <laughs> I just said it like different than English, so then it sounds like... No, they went throughout Judah and gathered the Levites and the heads of Israelite families from all the towns. When they came to Jerusalem, the whole assembly made a covenant with the king at the temple of God. Now, here's that word covenant again, where, where the people make a covenant to God, which is this promise to be in relationship with each other. Here, it's not with God, but rather it's with the king, with Joash. The people are planning a coup. They're going to overthrow the government, right? But this isn't a military coup. This is a religious coup where it's led by the high priest. It's organized in the temple, but you see all the people and all the officials are behind them. One, two, skip a few. Uh, They end up doing it, you know, and they they make Joash the king. Uh, They capture Italia. She is killed. And now Joash, as a seven-year-old, is raised up to be the new king of Judah, and if you want to know what it looks like for a seven-year-old, uh, stick around after church and watch who's playing ping pong and, <laughs> and, and with the, the, foo- the foosball table, you know, on the air hockey table. That's your king, you know, and 
I don't know. I was, you know, I was talking with uh, Levi this morning just about there's got to be some people doubting, like, you sure about this? But, but Jehoiada said, no, this is God's promise. He said not to have queens from the north rule us, but rather one of David's descendants forever on the throne. Therefore, he is the one that God has chosen to rule us. And so then here's, here's what happens uh, right when he makes him king. This is verse 16. Jehoiada then made a covenant that he, the people, and the king would be the Lord's people. All the people went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. They smashed the altars and idols and killed Matan, the priest of Baal, in front of the altars. What you see here is, is a rehashing of what happened with King Asa. This is three weeks ago now, uh, where there's this renewal where all the people say, yes, we will again be your people. The previous kings, they did their own thing, but no, we want to be your people. We want to be holy. We want to be set apart, which means we'll take seriously your law. No more idols. We will only worship you and focus on you alone. That's the main subject of this first story. That happens when Joash is the king. Uh, the second story uh, comes later. It's the next chapter uh, where Joash uh, repairs the temple. Here's, here's how that one starts. Uh, well, it starts off with the, kind of the typical introduction of who the king was. And it says, Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years of Jehoiada the priest. <laughs> and I think that is so loaded. It's like, what do you know about what happened after that, you know, chronicler? It's like absolute, um, what, foreshadowing, I guess, you know, in the, in the literature of the Bible. Most of the kings say he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and turned either to the right or to the left or followed in all the ways of David, his father, before him or whatever it says. But this one adds that clause, all the years of Jehoiada, the priest, uh, as if that guy plays a major role. And he does. Uh, but here's the next story. That's the third story. Uh, we're on the second story. So, so next, it says, sometime later, Joash decided to restore the temple of the Lord. He called together the priests and Levites and said to them, go to the towns of Judah and collect the money due annually from all Israel to repair the temple of your God. Do it now. But the Levites did not act at once. And so you see uh, Joash doing a very uh, honorable thing where he wants to respect the temple where God has said, this is the place where my presence will be. Uh, this symbolizes a, a heart that is sold out for worshiping God alone and wants to honor God being the center, the only center of their worship. Uh, and yet, for whatever reason, the priests don't do it, right? Jehoiada doesn't do it. He's still the high priest. And so then uh, we see uh, sometime later, he has to kind of follow up with them. If you read the account in Kings, it implies that perhaps up to 23 years has elapsed uh, and nothing's been done uh, for, the, for the temple, all right, I'm going to read this next bit is uh, like 10 verses. So I'm just going to read it uh, myself and we'll put it up on the screen uh, behind me. So starting in, in verse 8, it says, The Levites and all the men of Judah did just as Jehoiada the priest ordered. Each one took his men, those who were going on. Whoa, I'm not reading 24.8. I'm reading 23.8. At the king's command, is that, that what you guys have up there? All right, a chest was made and placed outside. This is when he's uh, trying to raise money to repair the temple. At the gate of the temple of the Lord, a proclamation was then issued in Judah and Jerusalem that they should bring to the Lord the tax that Moses, the servant of God, had required of Israel in the wilderness. All the officials and all the people brought their contributions gladly, dropping them into the chest until it was full. Whenever the chest was brought in by the Levites to the king's officials, they saw that there was a large amount of money. The royal secretary and the officer of the chief priest would come and empty the chest and carry it back to its place. 
They did this regularly and collected a great amount of money. The king and Jehoiada gave it to those who carried out the work required for the temple of the Lord. They hired masons and carpenters to restore the Lord's temple and also workers in iron and bronze to repair the temple. The men in charge of the work were diligent and the repairs progressed under them. They rebuilt the temple of God according to its original design and reinforced it. Uh, the, the account of this same uh, thing in Kings says this, that they did not require an accounting from those to whom they gave the money to pay the workers because they acted with complete honesty. Uh, what you see here that, that is highlighted is the fact that it was all of the people that were doing the repairs. Joash wanted it to be done, but for whatever reason, the priests didn't do it. Uh, so then what Joash comes up with is, let's make a chest, bore a hole in it, we'll just set it out in the temple, and we'll just let people drop it in. Like the priests weren't able to go collect it, let's let the people bring it to us. And the people were generous. It says over and over, they filled the chest, and oh, well, we got more, you know? And the people who were holding the money were not corrupt, they were not taking, no, they, they, we could trust them, right? And so they went directly to the workers. The priests didn't do the work, Joash didn't do the work. Who did the work? It was these skilled, unnamed workers, and they restored it back to what Moses had said. That's referring to the law, right? The, the, the other key theme running through the kings is the faithfulness of the people to the law. They were becoming the people again, God's people. The story of the rebuilding of the temple is God's people deciding that they wanted to be back. God's people, special people, holy people, only his people. And that's what this story is happening. Again, Joash just says, do it. And says, no, here, let me, let me build a chest with a hole in it. And then everything else happens with a people whose hearts are turned toward God, worshiping him alone. All right, then the last story. Uh, it ends uh, kind of at the end of this first section of 24 uh, with this message. Now, Jehoiada was old and full of years, and he died at the age of 130. He was buried with the kings in the city of David because of the good he had done in Israel for God and his temple. Uh, this is very interesting. Uh, I, I read in one of the commentaries that said this is the oldest person outside of the, or since the times of Genesis, you know, when people were living longer. Uh, he's blessed with a very long life, and he's buried with the kings. The people recognized Jehoiada, the priest, kind of behind the scenes guy, was really the one pushing things forward, really the one bringing us all back, unifying us, helping us be restored as God's people. Uh, Okay, and then we remember what it said in verse 2. Like, Joash was good, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord until, or all the days of Jehoiada the priest. And the days after it, uh, things go south, and, and things go uh, south very quickly. Um, I, won't, I won't read the details, but it's like this. Joash, it's, it says he listens to other officials, right? So he, Jehoiada was in his ear the whole time. Now he listens to other people, and he immediately just starts worshiping other idols and just not caring at all, leading the people away from God and just undoing everything that he had just redone, you know, in his life. You know, it's, it's puzzling. It's frustrating, right? And so then God sends prophets to, to say, hey, hold on, you know, like, be my people. That's where you were starting. And he says, ah, shut up. Don't do it, right? And so God, God chooses Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada. And it says the Spirit of God comes upon him to be a prophet, right? This is, this is his cousin, right? Because Jehoiada was his uncle. So his cousin comes, the, the man who was holding him up this entire time as a king. And he says, you have forsaken God. Therefore, God has forsaken you. The same message to Rehoboam, if you remember back in the week one. And so what does Asa do? There's two paths they can take. Rehoboam humbled himself. And he said, you're right. 
You, God is right and just. The other path that we've seen modeled is kings that throw him into prison. Joash does him one worse. He doesn't just throw Zechariah in prison. He actually puts him on a kill list and gives the command, go ahead and stone him. And what's more, stone him in the temple courtyard where I was brought to power. You know, just a, a repudiation. No, you know what, God? Forget you. No, I don't. Who are you? I don't even know you. Die. You know, like, whoa, Joash, like, what do you do? Everything is unraveling. He ends up losing in battle to a much smaller army, the Arameans in the north. Uh, they keep coming back into the story as well, kind of as a litmus test. How closely are you following God? And that'll be determined by how uh, easy or difficult it is to fight the Arameans in the north. Uh, he's injured in that battle. Uh, then he's assassinated by his officials. His officials conspire against him and assassinate him. And I think it's so ironic because that's the exact downfall that Italia, the wicked woman, met her in. Just her own officials plotted against her and killed her. Same with Joash. He sees the exact same end as the wicked queen. And then here's, here's how the story ends, according to the chronicler. So he died and was buried in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. Whoa, fascinating. Joash was king for 40 years. He was a good king, well, at least for most of it, right? And the people say, nah, Jehoiada was the king. You weren't the king, you know? They don't give him that honor in the end. Uh, we're meant to read this and see the tragedy, D deep, deep tragedy. It's meant to be like, what, <laughs> what happened? You, you're like, you were doing it, you had the right people, and then you heard the wrong thing. Okay, so for us, right? Fun literature, yeah, it would make a great TV series, absolutely. <laughs> you know, like, I'll, I'll invest in it if anyone's, if anyone's doing it. No, but what does it mean to us, right? What's the moral of the story here, right? I mean, is it listen to the right people, <laughs> you know, like, hold, you know, like, whatever you do, don't worship anyone else, like, listen to God's prophets, don't kill your cousin, you know, it's like, there's lots of good, lots of good lessons to be unpacked here, you know, or you could, or you could look at it from a different perspective, right, from, like, Jehoiada, right, and you could see, like, how to lead when you're not in charge kind of type principles, you know, that, that we like, because uh, clearly he was the one pushing things forward. Um, but I think you look at all these stories and you realize uh, it's like my picture. I'm in, I'm in the front. Sherry's in front. Yeah, well, we're there. Joe asked Jehoiada, but the whole picture is something different. These stories are just telling the story of a people that's returning to God right? Like, they, they was about, like things, things were almost off the rails. Like, they were almost completely gone, and God's faithfulness was in question. Like, the, for six years, the, I don't know how many people knew that Joash was alive, right? And there's like, what do we do now? Like, we're not God's people. We're just a random nation, you know? But then God shows up, and the people show up, and the workers show up, and his aunt, Jehoshaphat, she shows up and restores them, and all these people working together from behind the scenes rebuild the nation. We are God's people. That's the story. And it's almost saying, you know, Joash, the guy at the top, like, he didn't do anything. <laughs> you know, it's like it wasn't him, right? Because it was God moving, and it was all these people who were faithful and available and courageous. And when they were needed, they stepped in. The theme that I see, uh, the point that I think uh, these texts are telling us, the characteristic of God is this. God is perfectly comfortable choosing supporting characters to play lead roles perfectly comfortable. In fact, that might be his preference. You read the Bible over and over, and he chooses 
Jacob over Esau, right? He chooses Mary. You know, he chooses Hannah. He takes all these people. Who, me? Couldn't be. <laughs> you know, Esther. You know, you look through all the Bible, all these overlooked people, and he says, you, you will be the one that I'll place on my throne, or you will be the one with power. You are the one who will change the course of history, right? This is how God works throughout the Bible. Uh, I liken it to, you know, like those blockbuster movies that intentionally don't hire movie stars. You know, it's like they don't want our opinion of the movie to be tainted by previous roles that the stars have played. Like Star Wars is known for doing this. They give the lead roles to people you're like, never heard of them, so that they can be Luke Skywalker. You know, it's like, and they will forever be that person. Or Lord of the Rings, uh, Harry Potter as well, when they uh, casted, you know, who is it, Ron, Harry, and Hermione, if I'm saying it right. Okay. <laughs> so I, you, you would be surprised at how many times I'm like, how do you pronounce, like, look at my Google history, you know? <laughs> I'm like doing it all, but, you know. I feel like that's how God casts the characters in his story. Like, God is moving history forward, and he chooses people that don't have history, right? They're just his people. They're just available. They're just faithful. And he says, you, I need you here now for this moment. And they, okay. And that's how he proceeds. Forget, forget the lead headliners. You know, they're just there. They're just background. <laughs> you know, the people that are actually doing it is this guy, this guy, that unnamed guy over there. You know, they're the ones who are bringing everything forward. The heroes of the story is Jehoshaphat, Jehoiada. It's, it's all those officials. It's the people that show that they're behind it. You know, and that they're generous, that they're the ones who are going to fill where the Levites can't, where Jehoiada himself can't do it. They'll do it. It's the skilled workers. And the iron, they work diligently. It's the, it's the stewards that we didn't even have to hold them accountable. Why? Because they gave all of the money to the workers and took none for themselves. You know, it's, it's the people that aren't even unnamed, background characters, that are the heroes of this story. Because it's God who's doing it, and he's using whoever's available. That's what we see. So what does this mean for us? If God is perfectly comfortable choosing supporting characters to play lead roles, uh, what does that mean for our lives? A uh, couple things. I mean, it can mean many things. Uh, we'll have a chance to talk about those. But a couple things that I want to highlight. One is, is we have to be willing to consider ourselves a supporting character. Uh, what I mean is this. Not, not saying God doesn't care about you, but, but rather stepping back and seeing that God is actually moving everything toward an ending, his, his ending, like, like he is the director, like things are actually happening, like we can read this book and we can say, wow, look at God's faithfulness through generations, even where it seemed like it wasn't going to work out, God was still faithful and he was still going to do the things that he promised. Can we have that same perspective with our lives, right? I mean, I think, if you're anything like me, most of my relationship with God is like a I'm going through this, I need this, right? Can you help me with that? You know, it's a very, um, like, I'm the lead role. Like, my character development is what God is about. You know, like, like, it's suppo like I'm supposed to be uh, succeeding, you know? Like, there will be things that bumps in the road, but I will rise to the challenge, and I'll get through them with God helping me as if we're the star of the show. What if we viewed it differently, where we see God actually doing something in the world, and we're just background? But he'll use background if we're available, right? If we're faithful, if we're courageous, if we're ready. Absolutely, he'll use us. And he cares about us all the way. It's not to say he doesn't care about us. 
but we can see it when we read the Bible, God's overarching plan. Can we see it in our own lives? It's going to change the way we pray. Our prayers won't be so specific on us. We won't be asking him to do things. It'll be more listening, asking him what he's doing. You know, like, okay, well, what, what, where are you going? What do you have? How can I participate in that? Uh, we can do, think of our families the same way or our church the same way. Uh, like, for example, we're doing this warehouse, right, where we are serving the youth of Castle Rock. That's, that's our goal. And, and a lot of, uh, well, what are we doing this for? It can't be like, well, this is going to be the thing that saves our church, right, because more people will come, they'll be excited, uh, and so then we'll be able to fill this space, and then we'll have it. Like, that, that's the wrong understanding. Same if, like, this is the one thing that's going to make things explode. We've got the next best thing, and, and, and pretty soon we'll have a whole bunch of church plants. We'll be speaking at conferences and sharing how we've, we've uncovered the secret, you know, of, like, reaching youth. Well, no, 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 no. Stop, stop putting yourself in the center, right? Where's God going? We feel convinced that God is doing something with the youth in Castle Rock. And we say, okay, I'll, I'll be available. Lord, help me be faithful to whatever that is and help me be courageous. For when you say, here's an opportunity that we say, I'm ready. Okay, here, I'll put myself, I don't know, but let's do it. That's the stance that we're trying to take. And so we feel right now that God has said, every individual that walks through the doors, focus on them. We're nimble, we're small. We can pay attention to every single person. Uh, we, We aren't so big that people get lost in the shuffle. So we need to be really good at meeting people where they are, talking with them, listening to them, because that's what God has given to us. I was really encouraged this morning, so I wasn't able to make it on Friday, uh, but heard that several conversations uh, happened on Friday with a very small group of students that, that demonstrated that we're here, we're listening, we want to know more about you, and we care. And it felt like, yes, yes, let them know that we're here and we care, and therefore God is here and God cares. That's the role he's given us for now. And then we'll go forward with it. But fight the temptation to say, this is how we get, this is how I get. No, 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 no. God is doing something. Do you want to be a part of it? Now, if you don't want to be a part of it, just don't come to church anymore, right? This is us wanting to be a part of his world. This is why we worship. This is why we read his word. This is why we want to understand more about who he is. Because he is life. He's bringing life. And we want to be a part of that, right? Like this, this is who we are as Christians, which means we have to pause, step back, consider ourselves background. What is God doing? Okay, I'm ready. Oh, now? Okay. And then jump in. That's what our faith should look like. All right, the second thing that this should challenge us is stop focusing only on lead roles. Now, here's something. I was trying to peg it. Is it just a Christian thing, just an American thing, or is it just a human thing? Uh, we're obsessed with power. Like, we want it, right? I mean, it gets things done. Like, again, I've talked about this in previous sermons. There's nothing wrong with having a, a role as a boss, as a manager, right? As a leader, or a politician, or a principal, a parent, whatever authority structure, whatever power you can have, having money and wealth, that's a, that's a form of power too. Nothing is wrong with that, but we definitely want it. We chase it because um, then we can do things with it. Look, if God is willing to let the background characters play lead roles, then don't worry about who's in power. Don't worry about the lead roles. Don't focus on those things alone. Sure, God will use them just as much as them, but let me tell you who God uses. It's the people that are available, faithful, and courageous, not the people that are in power. For example, okay, I received a ballot in the mail this past week, 
And one of the big things is school board. I've had people come up to me and tell me who I should vote for on the school board, you know, in order to get the right people in, because that is how we will change things. Now, look, we should try to get good people in office as, as our role as Christians, as uh, whatever we call it, being in a, what, a democratic republic or whatever we are. I probably learned it this week in Philadelphia, but I don't know. I was, <laughs> I was just trying to keep track of all my kids. That's our role. Right? Like, was it right for Jehoiada to elevate Joash to the throne? Yes, yes, it was. Italia was not meant to rule. God did want Joash on the throne. But guess what? Was it Joash in that role who did anything? No. That wasn't, it was Jehoiada still. Push things forward, bring the people together, point them back to God. God wasn't using Joash, even getting, so look, vote, participate. Look, we're, okay. There's a big presidential election next year. Presidential elections are absolute messes in this country, right? There's going to be all sorts of clawing, fighting, mudslinging, you know, just, just trying to take down the other, the other party. Look, Christians, Christians, don't worry so much about who's playing the lead role because that's not who God's going to work, right? Absolutely vote, participate, get the right person in, but, but it doesn't matter who's in the lead role. God is going to use whoever's available, faithful, and courageous, which means like you and me, <laughs> like wherever we are. Let's take um, these global conflicts. You know, uh, Camille brought it up, right? Israel versus Gaza and Palestine and, well, whose side are you on? You could, you could probably bring in Russia and Ukraine. They're still fighting. You know, it's kind of faded in, in our focus here in the United States, but very real to those people that are in it. What do we do? And Again, it's probably an American thing where we kind of root for Israel, we kind of root for Ukraine because that's where our government is providing the most support. Uh, look, it doesn't matter who wins. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who has the most power at the end of the day, right? God is going to work through all these things. We have to have faith that God is actually writing a story, using history, moving somewhere with all of this. And so he's in control. We can... We can participate in it, we can help, we can find our convictions, absolutely, but he's going to use people, not who have the biggest guns or the best defense or whatever it is, he's going to use the people that are faithful, that are available, and they're courageous, right? And, and, and that means anyone, right? Like, no prerequisites. Just, I mean, there, there's unnamed people, it's Jehoshaphat who's just like, eh, probably should hide this kid, you know, like tremendous decision, right? That's, that's treason, right? I mean, like she, she puts her life on the line, but she knows the right thing to do in this situation is this. Probably didn't wake up that day and say, I've got to do it, but it came to her and she said, I'm acting. Jehoiada said, I'm acting. He's going to be on the throne. Yes, they might be clamoring for me to take it or for someone else to take it, but no, Joash is supposed to be on the throne. So here we go. You have to act when it comes, but you also have to be strong in God. You have to know where he's going. You have to know your role to be able to step out. If we're unwilling to listen about who God is and what he's doing, then we'll be unable to step out. We'll be unable to participate with what he's doing, which is fine. It just means we'll watch. But God's inviting us to participate with him to bring his kingdom here on earth. All right, let's go back to this, this photo. This is how I think most of us live our Christian faith. Uh, it's like the, that cute couple there in the corner, <laughs> right? Where you go around your life going to the places you want to go to, things you want to see, and you create memories or you do the things, you have your goals, you have your career aspirations, you want to raise your family, whatever it is, right? So you have your life that you're doing and you want God to be with you, kind of like we want our family to be with us 
as we go. And then they show, God shows up in the background and, ah, yeah, thanks, God, that's great. What if, what if we thought completely different about our lives itself and we thought that God was actually wanting us and placing us in different places, right? So instead of me and Sherry going to this park and saying, here, let's get a good memory, we ask God, why are we here? I'll enjoy this while I'm here, but why are we here? right? Because maybe there's opportunities. So f- for example, uh, there's just over my shoulder there, there's a, a little park and they had blocks and we were playing with them. I was playing with Oakley and this other little boy started playing and his dad came over. Uh, he said his name was Mohammed. His son's name was Hadi. Um, didn't speak a lot of English, but, but maybe, God, did you want me to ask further about that? Did you want me to talk with, get to know him? I didn't even ask. You know, I was just there enjoying. You know, like, or there are two homeless women that said very positive things about our children to us. Was I meant to give them more than just a smile? You know, and, and there were some other gentlemen that allowed Carter to play ping pong at these kind of public sets that they looked like regulars. They knew what they were doing, and they're very kind and generous and patient <laughs> to let Carter come in and play. Was I meant to talk with them, be with them? Like, like did God have something else? There's another family that had just come from the previous you know, kind of tourist spot, and I saw them here, and I gave them a nod, you know, but was it, was it, there meant to be something more? I don't know. I didn't ask him, right? Like, how many things are we missing in our lives because we're not even asking God, right? We're, God is working. <laughs> He's moving all around us. God cares. I, I think that's one of the, one kind of principles we have to stand on as Christians, Otherwise, I'm not sure it, it makes sense for us to try to follow him, right? If he's not going anywhere, why follow? No, he's going somewhere. So, so let's follow, let's listen, let's be attuned to what he's doing, then we can participate in what he's doing. Of course, it's difficult. We have to be perfectly tuned in uh, with, with who he is and, and be perfectly in step with the Holy Spirit and perfectly courageous, right, to step up. It sounds even hard if I'm available and faithful. I'm like, oh, kind of, but not courageous, you know? Like, how can we max out in all three of those categories? Well, we can't do it on our own. We're going to need someone perfect with us, but someone perfect has promised to be with us. We need Jesus. So let's pray and ask him to be with us. Lord, thank you for the story of Joash, uh, the stories of Joash. Uh, thank you for the warnings. Thank you for the, the grace. Thank you for your response to the people's response. But thank you for raising up all these people, even some people that don't even get names in the Bible, um, that are really the heroes of the story that bring us back to you um, and, and, and revive and renew the covenant. Uh, people that say, I want to be your people. Lord, may we want to be your people. May we be willing to do what it takes. May we listen to your prophets that come and tell us and uh, correct us. Uh, may we only worship you. May we be hard on all those things that are barriers for keeping us from you. Uh, strengthen our relationship, Lord. May we hold on only to you, and may we listen to you, God. May you direct us. We want to participate in what you're doing. Help us not try to take center stage and assume that you Uh, want us to play the leading role. Help us be content with being a background role and then just sensitive to being uh, tapped on the shoulder whenever you want us to go in. May we be courageous to step into that, Lord. We love you. We thank you for your son. We thank you for the closeness that he brings to us. And we thank you for the life that you're bringing the entire world. Uh, Come and work, Lord. We want to be a part of it. We want to see it. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. We have uh, three discussion questions as well, just like last week. Uh, Turn to your neighbors. During this time, we just say you have to talk with someone you didn't come with uh, this morning. And so this is a time we practice 
loving each other by listening to what they're saying um, and just helping each other learn more and explore further uh, what we're talking about and what we're thinking about what's going on in your heart uh, from God's word this morning. First question is, what was your word for King Joash? Uh, so either you shared one this morning, share a little more details. Why did you say those words? Uh, if you have one kind of just from our little summary, you can share that. Uh, number two, do you think of yourself as more of a lead role or a supporting character? You can get into a little bit more of the personality differences and how you feel like God might be stretching you one way or the other. And then what roles has God given you to play? So as you've been sensing, what, what things is God saying, well, this, this is definitely me, right? What, what, what have you heard from God? What roles do you have to play? All right, let's take uh, maybe three to five minutes. I'll come back up and then I'll dismiss us all at the end.